He's the um, director of international training for um, various venues around the world. He trains staff, directors, and teachers, and um, they train in uh, different parts of the world, Asia, Africa, and Latin America. Uh, Todd has 15 years of pastoral ministry in churches in uh, Michigan, Illinois, and Pennsylvania. And he is also a husband and father of three children. He's got two of his three children here today, uh, Vika and Sergey. Raise your hand so everybody sees you there. And Todd's mom is here too. Her name is Donna. So Donna, thank you. You're, you're not, uh, I mean, you, you like to hear him preach? Is that why? Okay, good. Good. I'm glad to hear that. That's, that's great. We, we love to have you. We love to have moms and dads here of our preachers. And so uh, Todd's wife, Sue, however, is not here today because she's visiting with her side of the family. I've asked Todd if he'd be willing to come up and talk a little bit about LRI before he preaches, but we're really excited to hear him preach from Luke. And so you be in prayer for him as he preaches to us and he opens the word of God to us. So come on up, Todd. Well, thanks so much, uh, Phil, and it's great to be here with you. I was with you when you were at the other location, probably now about seven, eight years ago. Um, Memory fails me. Maybe some of you remember about what time that was. But uh, we have uh, loved your church from a distance. Um, I have known Steve, your pastor, probably for 15 years, something on that order, because I got to know a number of the folks that were part of Grace Church of DuPage and uh, continue that friendship with uh, Kishwaukee Bible Church and also uh, Steve of your church as well. A group of us have been meeting for the last two years in DeKalb. Um, We're calling this TNT USA. It's a bit of an experiment for us, but a group of pastors uh, gathering together, uh, Steve, your pastor being one of them, and uh, going through a book of the Bible, one of the pieces of our curriculum, in two and a half days. So we sit around in a small group. We're discussing the Word of God all day long. And it's been a great joy to have that uh, fellowship with uh, those pastors there, many whom uh, you probably know. Um, Leadership Resources has been around for about 40 years, about 10 years in its present form of training national pastors. Uh, It's called TNT, Training National Trainers, but our focus is pastors. And so we are looking for those who either by title or by function are serving as pastors. Uh, One of the little known statistics in the American church is that uh, 85% of the world's pastors have had little or no formal Bible training. Imagine if you were in that world. In fact, it's so different. It's like uh, the Wizard of Oz where, uh, is it Dorothy? She says to Toto. Toto couldn't speak to her, obviously, but she says, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. You know, the the environment is completely different. Something's very strange out here. And uh, that's what it's like as you leave the West, particularly, and you go to many of these places like Latin America, Africa, Asia, and you realize that uh, many people, many pastors have had little or no formal Bible training. And so they are extremely hungry to be trained Uh, This is not a thankless job. I just used a double negative. I get a lot of gratitude, a lot of expressions of thanks. um, And uh, it's it's just amazing to see the level of thankfulness that these pastors have when we come and do training with them. And uh, your church has been involved with us via Steve, particularly. 
uh, in training pastors in the great country of Nepal. And you were already doing ministry there. Uh, there was another organization, another set of pastors doing ministry there. Are you familiar with Steve Monsoor as well? Uh, Steve Monsoor used to be part of Grace Church of DuPage, and uh, he's out in Oregon. Uh, and he has also become involved in this effort of training pastors. We do it in two locations. And I can't remember whether we call it Nepal East, Nepal West. I can't remember whether Steve Brandon is involved in which one of those, but Steve Monsoor is involved in the other one. So we have two groups of pastors we're training. Been doing this for about three years, and um, they, in turn, go and train other sets of pastors. Multiplication is a required component of this, so it gets very fascinating to watch what God does as these men go out and train other sets of pastors within their own context. Uh, that's where the real fruit is that we're seeing, uh, is the way that God uh, causes this to ripple across a region of the world. And uh, we're excited to see that happening in Nepal. And so we want to thank you for your financial involvement, for your prayers, for sending Steve, for freeing him to go, and to, to know that, um, that your efforts are having a significant consequence um, in the country of Nepal. Very significant. Um, my mom is here because she has to be here. Uh, mothers have to do that. They have to support their son. So you know, she is my biggest fan, she says, and uh, she really, it is a blessing to have a mother that will come with you. I just thought I'd give that explanatory note. My wife would love to be here, but she is uh, visiting with her parents. They are aging. And if you have uh, parents um, in that situation, you know the importance of uh, being there and helping. Uh, it's that's one of the things when I travel overseas, I see the level of care that an African will give to their parents. And uh, it's very refreshing and encouraging to me to, to see that. Uh, so it can be a rich blessing. I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. We are going to uh, center our attention on this uh, well-known and well-loved story of Peter and his boat and this great catch of fish. Um, and I want to uh, just introduce it before I read it by way of um, a movie that you may have seen. Anybody here watch the movie What About Bob? Have you ever seen that movie? came out about uh, 10 years ago. Richard Dreyfuss is this uh, psychiatrist, and uh, uh, Bill Murray is the patient. And uh, he plays the part to the T because Bill Murray enters into Richard Dreyfuss's life and Richard Dreyfuss will never be the same again. In fact, uh, Bill Murray uh, has a way of kind of getting into his life and taking over his life. And it leaves uh, Richard Dreyfuss, this psychiatrist who's well known all around the world, um, in a state of insanity. <laughs> Uh, but it shows the power that uh, people who enter our lives can have uh, within our lives. We're not always aware of it. My father used to say that uh, if you want to know how selfish you are, get married. Um, and then he said, and when you have children, then you'll really find out how selfish you are. Why? Because when our spouses enter our lives, um, it changes us forever, doesn't it? We can no longer operate as the bachelor or the bachelorette. 
suddenly we have to think about other people. And when children come into our lives, they, they make de- demands upon our lives. Our lives will never be the same. Uh, my, my wife and I adopted all of our children, um, and they know this, and uh, we, we delight in it because uh, it's a deliberate act of love that you place upon somebody. Uh, there are no um, adoptions that are sort of by default or unplanned or, you know, so much goes into that. It's a deliberate setting of your affections upon somebody. And uh, in that process of adoption, I remember in Russia, and uh, we, we uh, were able to adopt both Vika and Sergei at the same time, and we got into the train. This is the first time they'd been out of the orphanage. They were one and a half and two and a half, cute as all get out, cutest kids in the world. And uh, we got into that train, into the car, and um, the translator shut the door and he said, don't open this door for anybody until it's me in the morning, okay? So uh, we got in the car, all four of us, for the very first time, we were in the sleeper car, we set the children down on the one bed, and uh, my wife and I said goodbye to the translator, and we turned around, and here are these two kids looking up at us, and we're looking down at them, and suddenly we knew our lives had been irrevocably changed. There was no turning back. They were just instantly, we went from being the couple to the family. Two toddlers nonetheless. Your life is changed forever. And it came with challenges, but it came with incredible joy as well. And our passage this morning is a bit like that. So I want you to follow along as I read. And we're going to see how Peter how his life is changed forever. It tells us in chapter 5 of Luke, verse 1, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land... They left everything and followed him. Please join me as I pray. Father, we thank you for this precious part of your word. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us in these moments. 
that you would be our teacher, that our hearts would be eager and ready and receptive to what you want to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, on this day, a long, long time ago, Jesus invaded Peter's life. Uh, he steps into this boat, and the, the question I want us to, uh, to toy with this morning is, what happens when Jesus steps into your boat? One of the places that I've been privileged to travel and actually have a, a partner church in our ministry is in a place called Petersburg, Alaska. It's in the southeast of Alaska, and it's uh, between Ketchikan and Juneau, if you know that part of the world. A beautiful, beautiful area, and sport and commercial fishing, uh, it is abundant there. And uh, I know some fishermen that own large commercial fishing boats, and uh, one of them that I'm thinking of is named his boat the Kimber. And my friend uh, who owns this boat, uh, when he steps onto the boat, you know that it's his boat. He is the captain of that ship, and uh, he is the one who gives the directions to his team who are fishing with him. And uh, you don't have to wait long to figure out whose boat it really is. And so when Jesus did what he did this day, it's a rather personal thing for Peter. I don't know if you have something comparable in your life. Perhaps it's the, the office that you are in. Uh, perhaps it's your own home. Perhaps it's some place where that is yours. That is your territory. You are the ruler there. And so this question is a fascinating one when we look at this text and consider what happens when Jesus steps into your boat. We encounter Jesus first in the way of being a messenger. We see Jesus the messenger who is here in chapter 5. And there are a couple of things to observe about this messenger. The first is that his priority is to teach. We learn that right from the start. It says on one occasion, verse 1, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So this picture that emerges right within these few verses is that Jesus, this messenger, is here to teach. And the content of his teaching is the word of God. Now, to the reader of Luke, this would be really no surprise at all. In fact, it would seem like the natural flow of the story. Because when we turn back to chapter 4, particularly in verse 14, we see Jesus coming back from this time of temptation in the wilderness. And when he emerges victorious, it says in verse 14 of chapter 4, that he returns in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. A report about him went through all the surrounding country, and he taught in all their synagogues. So everywhere he goes, he is a messenger who is teaching. And then it says in verse 16, he comes to Nazareth when he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And what does he do? He stands up to read. He reads the word of God. In particular, he goes to the book of Isaiah 
And there he quotes from chapter, I believe it's 61 here. Yes, 61 verses 1 and 2. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim. Again, an act of teaching or preaching to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So now our knowledge about Jesus' ministry is expanding. He not only came as a messenger, a messenger who would preach and teach the word of God, but he comes with a message that has the power to liberate, to set the heart free. This is Jesus. And this is what he is doing in chapter 5, is preaching that message which brings freedom, which brings liberty. It comes out of the word of God. And the fact is, as Jesus says here, that he is the fulfillment of all those prophecies The one in Isaiah. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the picture that we have of Jesus, the messenger. And so his aim in his teaching is not informational. You might have thought that Jesus came to tell us interesting things. You might have thought that Jesus came to fill in our gaps, places where we are ignorant. You might have thought Jesus came for many a reason, but he didn't come for any of those reasons. He came to grab your heart and to grab mine. He came to transform us. Apparently, we need our eyes to be opened. Apparently, we need to be able to walk. Apparently, we need to be set free. We need this liberating message that Jesus brings. And so that is fundamental to our passage this morning. On this day, Jesus was going for Peter's heart. At first, it seems that he's just stepping into this boat out of a pure necessity. After all, the crowd was pressing in on him, it says in verse 2. So what possible solution could there be? Step in a boat. It seems random that he would choose Peter's boat at the beginning of the story. But by the end of the story, and when you read further into Luke, and you see that Jesus then selects Peter as one of those twelve disciples, chapter 6, verses 12 to 16, suddenly you're not so sure it was random anymore. It seems it was intentional. It was part of God's divine plan to step into Peter's boat. And this is where it begins to get personal. Jesus moves from the messenger who is out there, general, at a distance, safe, to the meddler who is right here. Up close, personal, in your face, demanding a response from your heart. He's in Peter's boat. There's no escape for Peter. No escape. And so now we turn our attention to what we see in the rest of the story. Jesus the meddler. What do I mean by the meddler? Well, the meddler is someone who is interfering with somebody else's business. He steps in and tells them what to do. And that's exactly what is happening here. And Jesus is telling Peter what to do because he has a greater purpose in mind. Two times in this chapter, 
Jesus speaks to Peter. The first time we see it in verse 4. It says, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, These simple words, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. It's a simple sentence, isn't it? Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And yet, wow, this word from God brings to the surface so much as the word of God always does in your life and mine. The second time he speaks to him is simply in verse 10. The second part of that verse, and Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Again, a simple sentence. Simple words. And yet so pregnant with meaning. So rich, so full, so freeing. Those are the only things Jesus actually says in this passage. If you had a red letter edition of your Bible, you'd clearly see that. But as you know, these words lead us to 11 full verses. Verses of detail, verses of response. The way Peter acts as Jesus speaks those words from within his boat and they penetrate his life. Two times Jesus speaks and two times Peter must respond. So let's take a look at Jesus the meddler and ask this question. What happens when Jesus begins to meddle? When he begins to take over in your life and in mine? I think there are basically two things that happen. We see them both here in this passage. The first is this. He confronts our foolish pride. He confronts our foolish pride. When you first look at verse 4, it seems very simple, doesn't it? Jesus just says to him, put out into the deep. Let down your nets for a catch. Simple enough. But in these few carefully chosen words, Jesus is taking direct aim at Peter's heart. How so? I think Jesus knew verse 2, didn't he? Jesus saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He saw the two boats. I think he knew that they were washing the nets, that the catch for the day was through. It was finished. Whatever they caught, they caught. I think he probably even knew they hadn't caught a thing. If he didn't know it then, he knew it by the time Peter tells him in just a moment. Jesus here is clearly taking aim at Peter's heart. And he hits the mark, doesn't he? What comes out of Peter? Sometimes I wish the Bible was in audio form so that we could truly hear the way something was said. As you know, in many languages, particularly the English language, the voice inflection has a lot in terms of meaning and communication. In other words, if Peter had said, well, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. That would mean one thing, wouldn't it? But I suppose Peter probably said it this way. 
which was the way I read it before. Master, we toiled all night. We took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Why do I think he read it that way? It's because of the response we see in just a few moments. But think about it for a minute. Here is Jesus getting into Peter's boat. Jesus, if he was known as anything, he was known as the son of a carpenter. And so you would assume he knew something about that field, that trade. He grew up with it. He saw it happening. Perhaps he was even mentored in it to a degree. Perhaps you think, well, he's a preacher. I can see that about him. So he can preach, but uh, you know, what are preachers good for beyond preaching? You might think many a thought, but certainly you would think with Peter, Peter is the professional. Peter is the businessman of the fishermen. He knows fish. If I were Peter, that's what I would be thinking. Hey, who do you think you're talking to here? I'm not a novice. I wasn't born yesterday. I remember working for uh, UPS when I was in college and... uh, the, the boss that I had there was always telling me every detail of everything to do. It would drive me nuts. And she would tell me that every night. She had said it the night before. She was going to say it tomorrow night. I knew the routine. Everything she was going to say. It was as if she had Alzheimer's and had completely forgotten what she had told me the night before. That's the way it struck me. I thought, you know, I'm really not that stupid. Do I look that stupid to you? You know, I don't know if you've ever had a boss like that, but it it really irritates me when somebody doesn't give you the benefit of the doubt that you know what you're doing. Now, I could see it if I messed up every night, right? But I never did, to my knowledge. And so I would find that personally frustrating. It was a weakness on my part. Just give me the main thing you want to get done. I will get it done. And I think you'll be satisfied with it. That's what goes on in my heart. But can you imagine, Peter, here he is. Tough night of fishing. He'd probably tried every trick of the trade. And he comes in and he has nothing to show for it. And then this guy who's not a fisherman, he gets into his boat and he tries to tell him what to do. Must have been very frustrating. What is your weakness? What is your weakness? Surely this was Peter's. There's a great deal of pride that he has in who he is and in the work that he does. And Jesus hits the mark. Peter obeys, yes, but it's a reluctant obedience. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, verse 6 says... They enclosed a large number of fish. Now, this has to be the understatement of the millennium. When they let down the nets, they had enclosed a large number of fish. Because we see just how large large is through the other details that are here. Their nets are breaking. They signal to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats and they begin to sink. So the nets are breaking. The boats are sinking. 
It is such an incredible amount of fish that there is no way they can bring those fish to shore. And so as Peter obeys this reluctant obedience, he now begins to see something in his heart. It's right there in verse 8. But when when Simon Peter saw it, he began to yell with excitement saying, Look guys, we've got enough fish for the rest of the year. We can take the rest of the season off. Isn't this great? That's not his response, is it? No, he's not thinking about his business. He's not thinking about his personal wealth. He's thinking about the poverty of his heart. The poverty of his heart. Look what he says in verse 8. But When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Does that surprise you at all? Do you find that reaction striking? Unusual? What is going on here? Why why isn't Peter excited about the great catch? Why isn't Peter taking hold of Jesus? I mean, with Jesus, uh, Peter could do this night after night after night, right? Not just one time. He could be set for life. Why is he telling Jesus to depart? I think it has to do with the fact that he underestimated Jesus. I think it has to do with the fact that in this, he's beginning to see who Jesus really is. I think it has to do with the fact that he thought he was better at running his own life than letting Jesus take over. If we're honest with ourselves, we think many of the same thoughts. Just think about the last time you were frustrated with something. Was your immediate knee-jerk reaction to turn to the Lord and ask for his help? Or was it to talk to other family members or friends or co-workers about the problem and struggle that you were facing? Peter knows his obedience was a reluctant obedience. He knows that his obedience was not a step forward in faith. It was merely acquiescing, merely going along with what this one whom he had a high regard for said, even though he didn't really believe that Jesus was able to do what he did. Peter's assumption was that we're really not going to catch a thing. Would you blame him? In one sense, no. He had been out all night. He hadn't caught a thing. With all of his ability, all of his knowledge, all of his prowess in his trade, he came up short. But the failure is to see Jesus as he really is. There's a wonderful scene in in Finding Nemo, if you've seen that great children's movie. Well, actually, I'm not sure if they made it for children or for adults. It's one of those animated ones that uh, children and adults find equally 
delightful. But there's a great scene toward the end where this one fish, Dory, is caught in a fisherman's net. And you can see what's going on above the water. You see this boat and the fisherman up there. But you also see what's going on beneath the surface. And so Dory is caught with this great catch of fish. And there's Nemo, concerned for his friend, Dory. And, and he, he goes into the net and he's telling all the fish, down, push down, push down. And then you see above the surface and the, the boat's beginning to go down like this. And they're getting success and eventually it breaks. What went on under the water that day? That's what I want to know. I'm talking about this day. It's as if all of the fish of the Sea of Galilee, wherever they were, they just started making a beeline for Peter's net. Jesus made the command, put down your net, and it's as if the fish heard the Creator speaking, go to that net. And broke this net, and Peter began to see something of that on that day. He came to see who it was whom he was dealing with. He came to see that it was the creator of the ends of the earth who had stepped into his boat. That's what's taking place. Peter says, depart from me. He is smitten to the core of his being. Isn't that amazing? He is smitten to the core of his being. I remember John Piper one time saying he was very upset at his wife because his wife had asked him, like many of our wives say, Todd, would you please take out the garbage? In this case, it was John. And uh, John said, sure, sure, I'll get it. No problem. Well, he, his mind was on other things. He went on and, you know, his wife again said, John, would you please take out the garbage? Oh, sure, sure, I'll get it. You know, and he was distracted with something else and he went on to other things. And then uh, his wife said to him again, John, would you please take out the garbage? He said, oh, okay, I'll take out the garbage. See, it's that reluctant obedience. And he picked up the garbage and he walked out and he slammed the door shut. And he said, I walked out into the most gorgeous, sunlit, cloudless day I had ever experienced. And he said, at that very moment, my heart was smitten. I was wrong for the attitude that I had had toward my wife. Isn't that like our God? Isn't that like our God? Turn to Romans chapter 2. I think we often get this wrong. In our minds, we think that it's God's wrath that leads us to a heart response to Him. But not so. Well, perhaps it does in some cases, but more often than not, God's way of working is to delight us with good things. Romans chapter 2, verse 3. It says, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Do you see it there? It's not God's wrath that leads us to repentance, according to Paul here. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. 
Why does Peter respond the way he does? It's because he knows in his heart of hearts he didn't deserve a single fish. He deserved nothing from this Creator because he hadn't given him the allegiance of his heart. And yet the Creator decided to bless him anyway. That's rich. That's rich. So often we are in the place of John Piper. We are in the place of Peter himself. Jesus is stepping into our boats. We don't see it at all. And here's where we're at. Depart from me, for I am an unclean man. I am a sinful man. And so when Jesus steps into our boats, the first thing he does is to confront our foolish pride. There's a second thing he does, thankfully. That is, he relieves our deepest fears. He relieves our deepest fears. Perhaps Peter's fear at this point is that he will face the wrath of God because he knows what he is before that God. Sinful. Unworthy. But in this very moment... Jesus beautifully and wonderfully relieves his deepest fear. To relieve is is to remove, to lighten, to free one from a burden or a worry. And that is what Peter experiences from Jesus. Let's think about this for a minute, okay? Um, We have a fear, don't we, of being found out for what we really are? In, in your heart of hearts, don't you know what you really are there? Sinful. And yet, it's human nature to put up a wall of protection. We want people to think of us well. We want them to see us in the best light. And most of my uh, arguments, if I can confess that with my wife, once in a while, I think we had one maybe ten years ago. Uh, I'm teasing you. We're human, aren't we? Most of my arguments with my wife end up, I end up defending myself from the standpoint of the best things, the best light, putting the best spin on things, when in reality I'm very guilty. I'm very culpable. I'm very responsible for the failure that's there. I want her to see me in the best light. I want her affirmation, I want her approval. But here's where Peter's action is so brave and so bold. He knows he's found out for what he is. But that very thing that we fear is the very thing that God forgives. Do we really think that God doesn't know us and that's why He accepts us? I mean, come on. God knows us and in spite of that, He accepts us. And he removes the fear by showing us that his grace is more than sufficient to meet us at that point of our sinfulness. And so the very thing we fear and we think disqualifies us is the thing that in the end God forgives and uses for his glory. What is your deepest fear? What is your deepest fear? Can you imagine having someone come along and simply remove it, take it away? 
Perhaps one or two of you have had an experience like I have where I've wronged somebody. And you know, when you really come to think of it, for anyone to forgive us for what we've done wrong is amazing. But this person just flat out forgave me for what I did. With my full admission of what I did that was wrong. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. And so here... Uh, we have another simple statement by Jesus. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. But this is no small thing. I mean, let's think about this. What we have here is an incredible statement of grace. Jesus is filling out those words of Isaiah 61 when he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Today this is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is proclaiming liberty to this captive Peter, captive to the sins of his own soul. Peter says, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Jesus says, I'm not doing it. In fact, I'm going to draw closer. And you are going to be working with me to do something of incredible, eternal proportions. That's how deep grace is. Jesus grabs hold of our lives. He, he goes for the heart. Peter actually hit the nail on the head when he said, depart from me, didn't he? By all means, Jesus should have done that. He's righteous. He's holy. He spoke the word and Peter entered into the obedience half-heartedly. Jesus should have granted Peter's wish. He should have left because Peter didn't deserve Jesus and neither do you and I. We don't deserve him. And yet, he doesn't leave. He doesn't leave. Let that wash over your soul. Jesus does not leave. In fact, he makes this promise. I will never No, never, no, never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus does not and will not leave. That is grace. That is grace. Grace for you and me. Second, it's not only that he doesn't leave, we see that he draws Peter even closer He draws him closer. He gives him something to do in verse 11. He says to him, from now on, you will be catching men. I am going to elevate your role in the kingdom. I am going to set your eyes on something even greater that you perhaps never thought was possible, even imagined. You are going to be caught up in my work. And not just catching men for the profit and the gain of this world, but catching men for all eternity. From now on, you will be catching men. I don't know about you, but um, the thought that Jesus could draw me to himself is pretty amazing. Even more, the thought that he give me something to do I don't know how to explain that. I don't know how to explain it. And I think the more I know my own heart, the more difficult I find it to explain. Why would God give me something to do? But I bow before Him. I worship Him. 
I delight in Him because His grace is so rich. His power to liberate and to free, it's indescribable. That's what He does for you and me. See, what we learn here is that the Word of God is never intended to remain in the general. It's never meant for informational purposes only. It's never meant to be a question on a quiz, as fun as those Bible challenges may be. The Word of God is meant to transform us. It's meant to reach out and grab hold of our hearts to work them over, to wash them clean, to build them up, to give them confidence, to give them faith and trust in a God who is far greater than we ever imagined. And the Word of God, as it does that, it tears us down so we can see ourselves as we really are. And then it comes alongside and it builds us up so that we can serve God in freedom, in joy, in relishing in who our God is. That is the work of the Gospel. That is the beginning of the story of that first Christmas when Jesus came. We hear it in the responses of Mary, of Zechariah, of Simeon, of all. And finally, we hear it in the words of Jesus Himself, both here In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, when he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. And then in that other passage, which Phil read for us later in Luke 24, verse 45 to 48, he opened their minds, that is the disciples, to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. What happens when Jesus steps into your boat? Well, if He has, you know of what I'm talking about. If He has stepped into your boat and if He has you will come to appreciate Him all the more because He doesn't let you stand where you are. He confronts your pride in all of its folly. But He also relieves your deepest fear and sets your affections and joy upon Him in a way that it really is indescribable. It really is unmatched by anything. For that we praise Him. Please join me. Our Father, You are a gracious, gracious God. We thank You for the Lord Jesus who came for this purpose. He came to preach the good news, to set our hearts free. Oh, how we thank You and we find our joy in You. Lord, I pray if there is someone here this morning that does not know Christ, whether it is a man, a woman, or a child, whether 80 years of age, or just two, three, four, five years old, I pray that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, will come home to them in a clear and powerful way and take hold of their heart 
for the first time. Father, I pray as well for all of us, whether we have come to Christ or not, that we would see your grace in deeper and richer colors than ever before. Would you build up our faith as we see how grace works, as we see how great you are and how weak and sinful we are, as we see the way that you don't leave, but you reach out for us. You give us something to do. Father, may we serve you as you were calling Peter in full assurance and with great joy, knowing that the good news doesn't distance us. Instead, it draws us ever and ever closer to you like a moth toward the flame. Thank you that you do not destroy us Thank you that you give us life. Would your spirit strengthen us with this word from today. In Jesus' name we pray.